Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena, United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody, it's great to be with you today, particularly uh, this week as we celebrate the lives of the saints in our church, those who have gone on before us and uh, finished their course in faith. Um, with, with that in mind, uh, not just today uh, are, are we going to talk about what it looks like to remember, uh, remember those who have gone on before us, um, but we're going to be talking about remembering all month long uh, as a way of connecting the conversation we've been in for the past month or so and connecting us to the conversation where we'll be having when we get to Advent. Uh, so we're going to be talking about remembering. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about what it looks like to remember what God has done, because when we remember what God has done in the past, it allows us to trust God with our present and in the future. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, remembering who God is, uh, because remembering who God is empowers us to turn to God in times of trouble, uh, rather than uh, some of the other places we tend to turn uh, to find our own safety and security. And then week three, right before Thanksgiving, we're going to be talking about remembering who we are, uh, but particularly remembering who we are in Jesus Christ, because who we are in Christ transforms the way we see ourselves and others. Uh, so we're going to spend a month talking about what it means to uh, to remember well, or as we say, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. And we're going to start all of that right now by using a word. It's kind of a bible word. Uh, we use it in church. Sometimes we sing it. Sometimes we say it. The word is Ebenezer. And I just want to be clear from the very beginning, we are not talking about Scrooge, McDuck, or otherwise, uh, we are talking about uh, an Ebenezer, a, a stone or a pillar or a stack of stones. Uh, and it comes from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. It says, Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mitzvah and Jeshana, and he named it Ebenezer. For he said, Thus far the Lord has helped us. He set up a stone. He said, Up until this point, God has helped us. If God's helped us this far, we trust that God will help us as we go forward. Um, now, what Samuel has just done there, and we'll talk about Sam in just a second, but uh, what he's just done there is, is not so dissimilar from what folks, the people of God, have been doing for a while and would continue to do. And that is, when there was something significant that took place, when there was a moment in which God had intervened, uh, rescued, redeemed, they would mark that place uh, with a stone, a stack of stones, a pillar of stones, or some other object um, and even sometimes they would anoint it, pour oil over it so that it looked different than all of the other stones that were around it. And they did this so that anytime the people of God were traveling past that place, that spot, that place, uh, they would see this stone and, and they would be able to tell a story. That stone would invite them to remember something about God, what God had done, who God was, who we are. And, uh, and so I've been asking myself the question, what is the story that people would tell when they rode past Ebenezer, it's actually right on a main thoroughfare 
uh, from the Mediterranean into the center of the, the, the uh, sort of hill lands, uh, hill country. Um, so they would have passed it. So what story would parents have told their kids when they drove past uh, this spot? Uh, let's just start with the name of it. Literally, uh, Ebenezer means stone or rock of help. Uh, so they would have told the story about how God showed up and helped them. Now, um, I think as I've just kind of tried to imagine it for myself, uh, there's, there's two stories that are taking place that find their conclusion in the verse that we just read. The first story is about the transition of power from a leader named Eli to a leader named Samuel. We can't tell that whole story, but we'll begin to, to tell a little bit of it and, and what it might mean. So we'll zoom into that story and then I want to zoom out and ask what it might mean for the people who are telling the story. The other story that gets told is, um, it, like in the first seven verses of Samuel, there's a battle between the people of God, the Israelites, and some of their neighboring enemies, the Philistines. Um, and so it tells the story of both a loss and a victory in that battle, uh, a redemptive work of God in that battle. So we want to zoom into that story, see some details, and then zoom out and ask what the people of God might tell about that story. And then holding those together, say, you know, what it is that we are maybe invited uh, to remember when we remember the work of God in our, in our own lives. So let's go with that first story, okay? So uh, at first, this is a reminder of a moment in time when leadership transitioned from a judge named Eli to a judge named Samuel. Judges were the leaders of the Israelites at this time. If we talked about this uh, last year. We spent a lot of time in the book of Judges um, uh, when we were reading through the Bible in a year. So you can go back and check some of that out if you'd like. Um, judges helped the people of God wrestle with their own faithfulness or lack thereof. We see pretty regularly in this history of time that the people of God uh, found themselves drawn to worshiping other gods if they believed that those gods could get them what they needed easier or faster, the gods of other nations. And so the role of the judges uh, was certainly there was a judiciary like quality to it. They would make decisions on behalf of the people of God, but they were they were really there to, to invite people back to faithfulness. They were political leaders. They were military leaders. They were priestly leaders. They were pastoral leaders. Um, so they had this like spiritual quality, but also um, like a function in their life together, right? Um, and Eli had been a, a faithful judge for a long time. It, it does tell us in the story of Samuel that Eli's vision was growing dim. Uh, not just literally, uh, but I think figuratively as well. And one of the things that we learned pretty early on is that uh, Eli has been trying to pass down his responsibilities to his sons, and they are abusing their power. They're taking advantage of people, they're hurting people, and God is having none of it. And actually sends uh, a message to Eli about this through Eli's protege, Samuel. And we see as, as Eli is, is waning in his ability to envision a future for the people of God, Samuel has visions that have started to come uh, started to come to him. And, and again, um, in this quick passage here, we see, we see that happening. Um, there's an interesting question that gets asked um, when Eli is condemning his sons. Eli says to his sons, if one person sins against another person, someone can intercede between them, a judge, can intercede for the sinner with God. But then he says, but if someone sins against the Lord, who can make an intercession? Like the, the way that you're sinning, you're not just sinning against other people, you're sinning against God. Who's going to intercede on your behalf? Well, here we have the answer in chapter seven, just before the passage I read earlier. Samuel, it says in verse three, uh, said to the house of Israel, 
Uh, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, put away your foreign gods and your idols from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve God only, and God will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. We'll talk about them more in just a second. It says, then Samuel said, verse 5, gather all of Israel to mitzvah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. I will intercede to the Lord for you. So they all gathered at mitzvah. They drew water and poured it out before the Lord like an offering. They fasted that day. They didn't eat. And then they said, we have sinned against the Lord, right? This is confession moment. It's a worship service where they're pouring themselves out to God like that water. And then it says, and Samuel judged the people of Israel at mitzvah. So he becomes their judge from this point forward. So we see this transition of power uh, as the people of God, again, afresh, leave the old sinful ways of Eli and his sons behind and turn again to the Lord, um, putting away their idols and their false gods. And we hear Samuel say, answer the question that Eli asked. It's just this great moment uh, in, in their story as that, that um, leadership transitions from one generation uh, to the next. If we zoom out of that story for just a second, uh, there's actually, I think, there's even more beauty in that story than just that per, those particular details. Uh, because what we see is that Eli and Samuel are in a lineage of leadership that has existed before them and will continue on. Um, and as you look at kind of how leadership gets passed from person to person to person, uh, you see in in the moment, in the story that we're in, like a deep sense of anxiety among the people of God. How is this going to turn out? What are we going to do? Like We talked about it a little bit last week. Anytime we're in transitions of leadership, uh, anytime institutions are rising and falling, things that we put our trust in to offer us prosperity and protection, uh, it creates a ton of anxiety for folks. And we see that uh, in the midst of this battle that they're having with the Philistines. Um, but in this in this moment, right, we go from Eli, who kind of represents in some ways all the judges that came before. Samuel's going to be the last judge. He's going to transition to Saul, who was the king, the first king of Israel. Saul is going to transition to David. And from the house and line of David, from the lineage of David, we get Jesus, right? So we see, like, we see leaders rising and falling and rising and falling and rising and falling. But ultimately, that whole lineage of leaders finds its fulfillment, its conclusion in the arrival of God in flesh to to be a judge, a, a, a judge unlike all other judges for the people uh, of God, for all the people of the world. And um, and so, like, I, I think if I was going to sum it up, this is how I might, might choose to say it. There's there's this, all this history of leaders that's there, but there's this undercurrent that also exists underneath uh, the passing of the torch from leader to leader to leader to leader. Some leaders are bad. Some leaders are good. Some leaders are faithful. Some leaders are not. Some leaders are helpful. Most of them end up in some capacity uh, harmful, harmful. But in the midst of the people's anxiety as leaders and institutions rise and fall, it is the constant presence of God that carries this entire narrative forward, even in this moment, even in this moment. So we tend to want to make these stories about our faithfulness and what that should get us, or our unfaithfulness, and what punishment we should have. But at the end of the day, the undercurrent of every single one of these stories is about God's faithfulness to us. Not our faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to to us. And I think that actually gets summed up super beautifully um, in the story that a woman named, uh, in, in a song that a woman named Hannah sings. Hannah is Samuel's mom. And uh, before Samuel was born, as he's being born and handed over to become the protege for for Eli, she sings this like poetic song. It's prayerful, um, and it's in chapter two. You can go read it, verse one through ten. 
Um, it sounds so much to me like the prayer song that Mary prays and sings uh, after the news of Jesus' uh, arrival in her uh, womb has come to be. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's just, and it stitches together so much about the faithfulness of God, not just in this moment, but for, through every generation. It talks about how the lowly will be lifted up and the proud will be brought low. It talks about how despite the very worst of humanity, what we do, uh, that God is always at work doing good things. Uh, it has like a messianic hope to it, right? Um, so worth, worth reading Hannah's words. Um, and it seems like uh, even if Eli doesn't have a strong vision, um, Hannah does. Uh, and so um, I think that we just see the, the faithfulness of God at work uh, in the midst of the story. And so I think that might be a story that they would tell as they pass by uh, this pillar called Ebenezer. Again, there's another story that finds its conclusion in this passage. Um, and it has to do with what we sometimes call the Philistine intrusion. So the, the Philistines who lived on the plain, uh, Israelites lived in kind of the hill country, and there was a highway that connected them. And uh, Ebenezer is located on the map, kind of in the foothills. So right at the edge of the mountains, before it meets the plain. So it would have been like a hot border, right? A place of tension between the Philistines and the Israelites. Um, and they have a battle uh, about three or four chapters before the one, uh, the chapter that we're in. Uh, they have a battle in which the Philistines claim utter domination and victory over the Israelites. Uh, the place called Ebenezer, and it gets called Ebenezer earlier on, the place called Ebenezer is a place of defeat for the people of God. Now, Here's what made the defeat so painful. It wasn't just that they lost a battle, but at that time, the Israelites were carrying around the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the Ark of the Covenant represented the full presence of God on earth. It was, it was the holiest of holy moments, and it was a powerful thing, right? And so they would carry the Ark into battle um, because it would provide them the source of strength that they needed to overcome. But it seems that they, that they lost that battle and that the ark was captured by the Philistines in that moment because they had taken the presence of God in their midst for granted. They had treated the ark as a trophy, rather as something to be honored, uh, rather than the presence of God as something to be worshipped. Uh, they took it as, like, uh, it was basically allowed them to appear more powerful than they actually were by claiming the power of the ark of the covenant. And so God allows the Philistines to have victory and to take the ark of the covenant away. So this is utter defeat, not just militarily. This is a place of shame. Um, it, it was, it would not be something that the people of God would want to remember well, right? But what we see uh, in the interluding moments is that the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant, and I probably don't have time to talk through this piece, but it's so fascinating to me. And they put the Ark of the Covenant next to their God in their temple. Uh, their God was uh, Dagon or Dagon, I think. And um, while no one's in the room, uh, the, the, the idol that was their God, Dagon, uh, gets like obliterated, right? So decapitated hands and arms, like full Babylonian punishment stuff is taking place here. Um, and, uh, and they, they said, well, did the Ark of the Covenant do this to our God? So they rebuild. And then basically the exact same thing happens again. A plague comes upon the Philistines. They're, uh, they're breaking out in, in boils and tumors. I, it's ugly. And they decide, we've got to give this thing back. Like, <laughs> this thing's too dangerous. It's too powerful for us. We're, we're taking this home. And so they bring it with fear and trepidation back to the Israelites. And they say, like, you've got you to take this thing back. Um, and so they hand it back over to them in the same place they took it. They hand it back over to them at Ebenezer. 
Um, and it's in this moment where the pain and the shame and the hurt and the defeat and the failure from that first battle is redeemed, not because of the power of the Israelites, but because they now recognize it's the power of God at work. God has redeemed this place. And so this place of shame and pain uh, becomes for them an opportunity to remember that God has the power to redeem. Now, here's, here's the risk. If we fail to remember, if we forget to remember the work of God, when we do, it always becomes about us. We tend to use the power of God as an easy prop to prove our own power, and we tend to pay the price for that uh, in the process. But we see, even in this moment, that God has the power to kind of redeem it. So let's let's zoom out a little bit, uh, not just to the story of the Philistines here, um, as we think about the kind of faithfulness of God that underscores all of these stories, um, and how that faithfulness also works here. Places of pain and defeat can become for us vivid reminders of God's presence and activity in our lives if we choose to remember them well. Places of pain and defeat can become vivid reminders of God's presence and activity in our lives if we choose to remember them well. Friends, we tend to be a people who are not great at remembering. Uh, this day and age, in particular, uh, the harder things to remember, the more painful parts of our lives, we, we would actually rather just kind of forget them and move on. If we don't have to think about them, we don't have to dwell on them, then we don't have to deal with the anxiety of them, we don't have to deal with the pain of them, uh, and we can just kind of live our happy little lives the way we want. Jesus knows that we are prone to forget. Uh, and I think that that's why when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit in his name, he sends the Holy Spirit to be a reminderer for us. Uh, he says it this way in John. He said, I said to you these things while I'm with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Because we need to be reminded. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. We're invited to remember. We're encouraged to remember. Uh, whether that's a personal thing, like places of brokenness in our own lives. Um, because when we remember those things, even if they're hard to, uh, we can also remember in the same ways the way that God has redeemed them, the ways that we've been forgiven, the ways that we've been healed, the ways that we've been made whole, uh, the ways that we've been restored. We remember not just the, the place of pain, but we remember the work of God, God's faithfulness to us, even in places like that. Maybe it's not within us, like maybe it's external to us. Same can be said. Places of pain that we experience in life, whether that's grief or fear or failure or fractured relationships that we have with each other. We may choose to forget those things, but if we remember them, we also have the chance to celebrate the work that God can do in those moments of redeeming uh, redeeming them and bringing restoration and wholeness uh, in those places as well. We want to forget. We want to forget so that we can avoid the discomfort, maybe the pain. But Samuel says that what we should do in those places Put up a stone, put up a pillar, lift up an Ebenezer and say, the Lord has helped us this far. And if God has helped us this far, God's not going to fail us yet. And so it is uh, that when we find ways to, to mark those places and to remember well, uh, that we have an opportunity to remember what God has done in the past in a way that empowers us to trust God now in the present and with our future. So as you leave and depart into your everyday, ordinarily, regularly scheduled lives, I would encourage you to ask, you know, where is that place for you? Where's that place for you? 
And what Ebenezer have you set up um, in that place to remind you of God's faithful work in your life? Blessings on you. Blessings on you as you uh, raise an Ebenezer uh, in your own life this week. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, And while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Varina area. Um, FVUMC.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Varina United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing again soon.